Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 161 of the show. It might as well just be episode 160 because if you guys listened or tried to listen to last week's episode, uh, only my audio is on it because of a strange error that I, I still haven't pinpointed. Uh, I was just talking to Matt and Zach, who are here with me, and said it had the most engagement out of like our last... 25 episodes so that's cool i guess that you guys just listened to my voice or clicked it and clicked off um but yeah what's going on with you guys well you know welcome back what's up yeah i mean it's probably better off you didn't hear some of the takes we had because yeah. some were well off base and others weren't but um yeah this is going to be the last recap and talking about the prem for about three three weeks or so four weeks we're going to get into world cup mode now after this one and uh record wise for week 16 evan went four and six i went five and five and zach went six and four Mm. so right now it's not really the midpoint um teams still have only played 14 games it's going to be a crazy second half to the year but we'll say it's the first half so evan is 69 and 77 I am 71 and 75, and Zach is leading right now with 72 and 74. So um, I'm happy where I'm at. I know this point, this time last year, I was well off pace of what I am now. So um, I'm managing just to go 500 about every week. Yeah, well, that's good. There's the the week is coming. I promise it is coming where all of the picks hit. Yeah. Uh, then once that happens, you can take your foot off the gas. I'm not ready for that. It feels like it's a bike race right now. Yeah. We're all riding together until someone hits like a a rock. Yeah, yeah the best week has been, been a massive crash. I think the best week has been a seven and three. It was me, wasn't it? Was uh, it I think Zach's had the most Woo! successful weeks Damn. like that, but he's also had the, the most highest highs and the lowest lows i think he's had two weeks where he went two and eight and uh i think he's had at least three weeks where he went seven and three or so yeah yeah just scrolling through there i'll take that you got three weeks seven and three and two weeks two and eight nice solid um okay well so what we're gonna do on this episode is go over the games from uh the weekend and then we're gonna do our uh, mid-season awards. So biz- biggest success for team and player, biggest letdown for team and player, and then the new signings that happened, the ones that were worth it, and the ones that have been uh, no-showed. So I-, I actually wrote down like two pages, single-spaced of reasoning for my things, which I don't often do. So uh, I'm, excited. I'm excited for that. It's the first time I've written anything sports-related in probably a year. Uh <laughs> It was nice. I miss it. So um excited for that. But we might as well jump into match day 16, go over some of these games. Uh, number one, probably being the upset of the week, Manchester City one. Brentford two. Ivan Tony with two clutch goals here, one in the 16th, one in the 98th. It was a last gasp effort from uh, Tony to, to take all three for Brentford. City Foden was the lone goal scorer in the 45th minute, and this was a City performance like you'd expect, pretty much, you know, ball dominant, uh, moved the ball well, 29 shots, six of those were on target, 75% possession compared to Brentford's 25, 
Brentford actually did have more uh, shots on target. They had eight in this one and 10 total shots. But yeah, I mean, this one probably should have gone to City. Holland was back. Uh, Silva and Foden up top alongside him with KDB, Rodrin, Gundawan in the center. Stones, Akanji, Laporte, and Cancelo at the back. This is a full-strength City lineup. It's really, you know, we can't say, oh, they were missing something. This is pretty much the best they can have. So uh, a disappointing loss for them. Tony led the line with Embuemo up top. The rest of the team was relatively unchanged when you look at the past couple lineups for Brentford. And they just wanted it more. Uh, the more and more I watch Brentford and Tony specifically, the more I'm upset that he didn't get his England call up. Uh, he, he They're not taking him, right? No, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. so really disappointing there because I do think uh, he's a fantastic option. I think they could probably play him alongside Kane just because Tony's got a bit more pace. He's a bit younger, uh, and he seems to have a bit more drive, so... Yeah, a really good win for Brentford. A really just unbelievable performance from Tony telling Southgate why he's incompetent. Um, and yeah, this one kind of fucked us all, huh? I think this one hurt me the most. Uh, my main input with this game was I, I was watching the second half and t- talking to Matt. It was, it was 1-1 and City were controlling. I think it got up to stoppage time. City were had all these chances in a row. Matt's like, oh, I'll check the money line. City to win. I think they were plus... Uh, plus six, or something. Plus 350 for a City win. I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll put a couple on it. And then I think the money disappeared before it even left my hands because right after <laughs> I uh, I bet that, that City had that corner that Brentford countered. It was a fast break and then a sweaty ball across the box in the goal. Yeah. It was like the 90... 96 minute or so, yeah. 96th minute of 100 they played. Yep, 10 added minutes in this game. It was was end-to-end. Obviously, whether a team beats City or not, City are going to have the ball for more than 70%, and they did here, 75. And there's nothing you can really do. It's on those quick counters, and they just had the right players to do that. And uh, it just comes down to game management and sticking to the plan, not being frustrated or panicking at any time when you don't have the ball for long periods in the game. Uh, it's to be expected when coming up against a team like this. I think everybody was happy that this happened. If you're not a Man City fan, it opens up the league table now um, to more parity, really, and gives Arsenal a bigger gap there. Um, I think it's five points now, four or five points. They have a gap there on City, and it's it's unbelievable. So, uh, And Brentford is just that team this year. You just do not know what to expect. I just, while everybody was talking... I combined all of our Brentford records, and it is the worst amongst all the teams. We are combined eight and thirty-seven when picking Brentford games. So oh, you're welcome, guys. Um, you're welcome. Well, now Evans two and thirteen with them. You're one and you're you are one my first team, and ago. I am five and ten with them. And last year, this was Evans' worst team picking. He was thirteen and twenty-five oh. picking Brentford games. I was twenty and eighteen. So um, I have a historically, if you want to say in a a one and a half year span, better picking Brentford, but yeah, you just do not know what to expect. I mean, after the, the, the the Southgate made the squad announcement and he took Callum Wilson over Tooney, uh, you could just see in his play, the chip on his shoulder and he knows what he can bring. He's at that point where he's an established player in his career and he understands who he is. And 
it's just tough because this probably is the best opportunity he has to make the team um, going forward. So we'll see. You never know. There could be injuries come training camp up to the first games or somebody gets hurt during the first game. They maybe bring somebody in late. You never know. So it's happened before, and I wouldn't close the door on him playing yet. I think they should kill one of the offensive players so that he has to get called up. They 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 need, are gonna need him. Honestly. I really do think they're gonna need him because they have they have Kane, Rashford, oh, yeah. Odin, Saka, Wilson. Um it's beyond me how Wilson gets the call up and Tony doesn't. I think Grealish got called up, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's disgusting as well. But they only took two strikers. Okay, let's move on. Liverpool 3, Southampton 1. Roberto Firmino got Liverpool off early in the 6th. Che Adams struck back in the ninth, 1-1. Headed into the roughly 20th minute when Darwin scored his first. He scored again before the stroke of halftime in the 42nd. Then it was all quiet on the front after that. A really, really good game from Darwin Nunez. He's starting to break out finally. Uh, he's got, you know, five or six goals in his last five or six games, I think, at this point. He's been really solid. Um, they're playing him out towards, like, left wing, honestly, uh, with Firmino in the center and Salah back on the right. rest of the team looking okay. The defense looked a little better in this one, but they still conceded to a really shoddy Southampton attack. Um, no changes for Southampton in terms of their team. Eh, I don't know. I, I don't. I think this is a fine result for Liverpool for sure, but they looked shaky at the start. They've continually looked shaky uh, at the start. And this is just sort of indicative of, of what's going on there. I think a 3-1 victory over Southampton side that Arsenal actually drew with is totally fine. But, um, you know, I don't know how much you can really take away from it other than that Darwin's really starting to look comfortable. Uh, he does appear to have been a solid signing, and I think he fills in that gap where Jota usually plays really well, plus he's younger. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's not all that much that I take away from this game. This is yeah, an expected result. Yeah, I agree with you. I like watching Liverpool's front three, and this was fun watching Nunez get two on the board. Yeah, I mean, I mean, once again, Liverpool can't keep a clean sheet. I think they're one of the worst uh, when it comes to that stat. It's it's just tough, especially in the first ten minutes after you score the opener, uh, to immediately go up the other end and give up a foul and let Ward Prowse hit a a great ball in the box that Adams put away nicely, and that was realistically their best chance of the game. And after that, Liverpool just locked it down. I think this new formation they've been playing, this four one two one two narrow, has worked better. Um, Pep, or sorry, your Klopp was up in the stands serving a one-match touchline ban from back in the Man City game over a month ago. So Pep Lenders was down there, but had the earpiece in, and they got the job done. They weren't really tested to an extreme. Allison, towards the end of the game, had to stand on his head. Uh, they really could have given up two goals here, and it could have ended in a draw. But um, with the fresh cut, and he shaved his beard, he he was ready to go, and it seems like he's bound for Qatar to lead the Brazilian back line. Yeah. And for Southampton, um, this was the first game, match for, excuse me, new manager Nathan Jones, who they brought up from Luton Town. Uh, he's got a lot on his plate. They have a lot of young talent. They have a few veteran players to work around. And for a freshly new manager that's never played, or never managed, I should say, at this high level, 
Uh, it's a lot to ask for, and with a, a few key guys injured at the moment, it's going to be brutal. And I think it's really the best time right now for him with this World Cup in place that uh, 90, 90 to 95% of the squad's not going to go to Qatar. All of them are going to be staying in England, training, working on the tactics so they can be ready for a very congested Christmas period. So it, right now they're sitting 19th. Obviously, there's a lot of congestion at the bottom half of the table. They're only two points from safety, and a win could put them in 15th. So it's still early on in that area of the table to really get too far ahead of ourselves. But um, he's got uh, this is the most critical time for him right now because he could lose his job come the end of January. Yeah, certainly. Okay. Um, let's jump into the next one. We had Bournemouth 3, Everton nil. Uh, good lord. Everton not able to get a result here. Bournemouth flying high. Marcus Tavernier struck in the 18th. Kiefer Moore added another in the 25th. And then Jaden Anthony sealed things off in the 69th with a goal of his own. Uh, 16 shots for Bournemouth. 9 shots on target. 15 shots for Everton. 3 shots on target for them. 35% of the possession was what Bournemouth had. I cannot believe that they only had 35% of of the possession and were able to win this game as easily as they did. But here we are. Everton currently in 17th on 14 points. Bournemouth now in 14th on 16. Um, Counterattacking masterclass, I guess. I wasn't really expecting Everton to head into the World Cup break in 17th. I thought maybe they'd be a little bit better, but... They just haven't really been performing all that well. They only have three wins. Bournemouth have four now. So a really important match, I would say, for Bournemouth to sort of cement themselves in that upper, lower, bottom half of the table, whatever you want to call it. Um, So a good win for them, but I do still have questions to ask about Everton, especially up top. It has not been good, and I don't think Mopai and McNeil are going to be guys that you can rely on going forward. They're going to have to make some moves. Yeah, Bournemouth, 3-0 three, three win for them is, is great for their goal difference, especially since they got pumped 9-0 by Liverpool earlier in the year. Um, the key for more goals stood out to me the most here. I mean, did you see leveled Mikolenko on the goal line yeah. fighting for a header? That guy's going to be scary for Wales. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of his. Um, he really killed me in fantasy in that way. Uh, hopefully Mikolenko's okay. Uh, picked up an injury there right to the temple. It's it's Bournemouth's first clean sheet since the first week of October against uh, Brentford. They got a nil-nil draw. And like Gavin said, it was crazy how much they dominated the game. But when you look at the stats, it's pretty dead even. And possession-wise, Everton controlled the game. But Everton on the road are probably the worst team in the in the country right now just awful they haven't they've won they've lost 22 out of their last 24 on the road it's just really bad how bad they are away from home and Bournemouth really take advantage of their chances that's one thing that I think goes under the radar is how deadly they are on the counter and how clinical they are in knowing what their strengths are and playing to them uh Tavernier is a guy that they brought in this year who's played really well on the right wing he's been involved in almost every one of their goals, him and Solanke have been their main guys. Uh, Kiefer Moore has been battling with injuries every now and then, but when he is in there with Solanke, it's it opens up the front front two uh, really well for them, it, and it's a lot for a defense to maintain to manage really. So 
Pickford, that first goal, though, the long shot from Solanke, and he, he slipped out of his hand and just a little tap in there. And then the second goal as well, just too much confusion in the box and not enough authority going on to clear it away. So it was a long day for them. It's Frank's probably one of the next guys on the hot seat now. We've already seen six news changes, six to seven new changes in the league, uh, which is crazy since we're only in November. But obviously with the circumstances of the World Cup, it's different. So it's really important for him, just like I said, with Nathan Jones and Southampton for Frank to regroup, figure out maybe if he needs to change one or two things and to prepare for January to potentially bring in maybe one or two new guys to change the flow of the squad. Yeah. Um. All right. What do we have next? Uh, yes, West Ham nil, Leicester City two. I, th- I think I picked Leicester, didn't I? Was this one of the games where I picked them? I believe so. Just double checking. Yeah, yeah I bet them on the week. I bet them on no, the weekend. You, you picked. You picked a draw on oh the recording. God. Yeah, it's so bad because then when I wake up in the morning and I place a bet, it, it's, it's totally right. Different. It's it's yeah. right. It's usually right. So. Leicester 2, West Ham nil. James Madison in the 8th, Harvey Barnes in the 78th. A really good performance from Leicester. I think this is the sort of performance we have to expect from them. Uh, still not getting as many goals from the striker position as you probably would expect, but Madison, Barnes, and Tielemans especially have been really taking on some of that goal-scoring load. They're, Madison is essentially involved in every single one of Leicester's goals, whether it be a key pass, and assist, or the goal itself. Um, and he's continually been extremely good. So good to see him in good form. He's really the key uh, piece for Leicester, sort of what Vardy used to be for them. I just think Vardy's getting a little bit old. West Ham continually just disappointing. They do not have any informed players at this point. You're not going to be able to get a game-winning performance from your defensive midfielders. I know Suchek was really important at points uh, last season and the season before, but he's been a bit disappointing. Declan Rice, same thing. Lying in that position, I just don't think he's going to be able to get forward enough and make enough uh, splash up top to really sort of provide anything. Paqueta hasn't been good. Bowen has taken a severe drop-off since last season. Saeed Benrama playing out of position, but also not playing well. And then Skamaka, who has just been a flop so far. So not a great performance from West Ham. Don't know what to expect from them moving forward. I do think um, David Moyes' job is probably on the hot seat. Uh, You know, we'll, we'll have to see how they come back after the World Cup. But I think Leicester are definitely trending in the right direction. Um, Not ready to say that they've avoided calamity yet. They definitely haven't. But West Ham, I'd say at this point, are, are probably in worse shape. So this was a, a fitting result. Yeah, I'm glad to see Leicester getting wins and turning their season around because I think they got a good a good group of players there. Uh, like you said, Madison at the core of that. It was nice on them getting the clean sheet too. Danny Ward showing his value, I think, in a position that was pretty tough to fill, fans would expect, after Schmeichel left. But I think the team overall is doing pretty well now. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked us the question about Danny Ward six to seven weeks ago, we both would have said he was one of the worst players of the year, um, looking absolutely lost. But closing out the last six to eight games, he's kept six clean sheets out of their last eight games, which is incredible. It's really even down their goal differential. They're now on a zero goal diff, scoring 25 and giving up 25, but 
they're sitting thirteenth. They've won four out of their last five. Their key guys are all performing at a high level. Uh, Madison in thirteen games has scored seven and assisted four. Um, one of the top performers in the league so far this year. I would say one of the disappointing things uh, is Jamie Vardy's involvement. It seems like he's just been slowly faded from the squad. He's been sub appearances. He's only got a handful of starts. It seems like that Rogers has passed the torch on to Daka. It seems like Daka is the guy over Ian Nacho. So still, I mean, the squad's playing well. They have more consistency together, it seems like, the majority of the team playing together. Whereas when you're mentioning about West Ham, I look at their front four that played here, Skamaka and Paqueta, brand new signings from this summer. Ben Rama, they brought last year in from Brentford. Uh, Bowen's freshly on the scene two to three years. So all those guys don't really have any chemistry together. If Antonio was up there, maybe. But it seems like they fully get went with Skamaka. So, and yeah, like you said, we've seen Suchek in the past. He had one one brilliant year where he had about like nine goals from center mid. Had like a, the Ayatori Frank Lampard type of year. And Rice seems to get more involved in the attack, which at the same time leaves pockets of space in behind. So there, there's a lot of disappointments there with them. In 15 games, they've lost nine. It's not good enough for a team that's in the champion or the sorry the conference league this year. They're playing in Europe, and I believe they qualified top of their group. So. It's going to be a long winter for them, playing on a lot of Thursdays and then going shortly into Sunday games with little preparation. So it's very important that they can get some chemistry over this time and might need another face or two. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a couple more games here to go over. And now why this happens. All right, I got it back. Uh, Tottenham 4, Leeds United 3. This was an absolute fucking scorcher at Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Crescencio Somerville, who I've been singing the praises of the past couple weeks, got Tottenham off to an early start in the 10th. Harry Kane stroke back in the 25th. Rodrigo Moreno then notched another in the 43rd. Ben Davis got one in the 51st. Leeds scored again in the 76th. Benson Core got one in the 81st, in the 83rd as well, and then Adams got sent off in the 87th. This was just constant action. So many goals, a seven-goal thriller. Just you don't see this all that much anymore. A really well-played game. Um, kind of brute forcey, not so much tactics, which is what you would expect um, from Tottenham, but. Man, this was really entertaining. They got Kulisevsky and Richarlison back, and it's such a different uh, team up top when those two are there. Kulisevsky just opens the pitch up, and I think Richarlison is just another guy that you have to watch, like Kane. Uh, or, well, yeah, like Kane, but like Son as well. You have to keep your eye on him, and that's when things get can get really messy in the center of the pitch, and that's where guys like Bentancourt kind of shine. Um, two goals for him. He's been a, a goal-scoring threat that I didn't necessarily expect uh, would be there this season, but he was awesome. I don't think Leeds played all that poorly, but this is a return to that feast or famine that we sort of dealt with uh, with Bielsa, and I mentioned that last week as well. They may score a couple goals, but they're also going to let in a couple of goals, and I think you'd rather be in this position than you would be um, just being able to defend and not score a team like Everton, um, you know, who's who's suffering from that right now. I think Leeds are in a decent spot. This is an unfortunate loss, especially because they went ahead early. Uh, they are in 15th on 15 points, 
it would have been really helpful to get three points from Tottenham here. And I think they probably should have at least taken a point. Uh, that lack of discipline from Adams, too, not great because he's going to have to serve a ban when he comes back from World Cup duty. But, um, yeah, a really super entertaining game. Glad I got to watch this whole thing. Didn't realize I was muted there. Might be. Uh, but, yeah, Tottenham leads two explosive teams. One explosive match, who would have guessed? Uh, but, yeah, I agree with what you said, Evan. I don't really have anything else to add on that uh, on that analysis. I'm glad to see Aronson being a key role in leads here for yep. the first half of the season, if I had to sum one thing up from this game. Yeah, he's a main asset for Jesse Marsh and how this team plays playing at that cam. Um, it also helps with Rodrigo playing up top because of Bamford's inconsistency, so that gives him more leeway in the middle. Tottenham seems like a team that has to wait until they get punched in the face to really react. They can't start anything going uh, in the first half. You just wait until the second half for them to make changes and get going. And it's kind of tough to watch that as a fan. You want your team to get off on the off the, off the mark right away. That's how Leeds has been playing pretty much every game. They have great starts, and like Evan said, you know they're going to drop the bag. And I think they're one of the worst teams there with the lead this season. Somerville there, fourth goal in four games. Rodrigo off the mark there with two. I mean. They're not, like Evan said, they, they they get the chances, they put them away. It just comes down to having the mentality to hold it, to lock it down, to transition to a more defensive style. And it just doesn't seem the team overall can do that for the manager or, or the manager hasn't co- coached them into that yet. So you have to remember they have a lot of young guys there going up front with the involvement of Somerville and, and uh, that Nato dude, yeah. the 18-year-old Italian. He's been a good impact there with Harrison out now. Um, it's yeah, it's just tough to see a team like Leeds the last three games now getting absolute shootouts and just drop the bag a lot of times. And this is the one they let go. I mean, they they came back and beat Bournemouth, luckily that one time. But now that's they're on the other end of it, and it's a tough thing as a manager to go through all that. I mean, I think I said it last week. Just I don't understand how Marsh would go to sleep at nights thinking about every game. It's like, I'm literally going to shit my pants when we go to this game because I have no idea if we're going to win or not because of our inconsistency defending the lead. So, yeah. And he always says it. He says we all were, anytime they lose or drop points, it's like we were controlling the game and he fully believes that they control all these games. And I think they definitely had a good grip on this game. It was just when, when Conte made those second half changes to uh, change those wing backs and, change with Charleston out for Basuma. It seemed like things turned, the tide turned there and really got them going in a way. So it's it's tough. Marsh was out of the woods with that Liverpool win. Um, but now it seems like they're just always getting dragged down back into the into that little mix. And, uh, I mean, their first game back is going to be against Man City. So it's not promising. Man City and then Newcastle. Yeah, that's tough. Um. <clears throat> okay. Uh, up next, Nottingham Forest one, Crystal Palace nil. Jesus. Uh, this was tough. Uh, Wilf missed a penalty in this one, and then Morgan Gibbs White his goal in the fifty fourth was the separation. This was bad. This was a bad performance from Palace. I thought they had more up top that would be able to to sort of deal with that back line because 
truly Renan Lodi is pretty much the only guy with pace back there. Uh, Worrell, Willie Bolly, and Serge Aure are actually corpses. So I, I'm not necessarily sure how Palace weren't able to break them down, especially with how much pace they have. Eze, Za, and, and Ayu. Um, Alise got the start. Like This is the best team that they can put out there, and they weren't able to get it done. I guess this is bound to happen sometimes. I know I get really confident with Palace just because I think I have a good read on them. It's okay to drop a point here or a couple points. You know, they're in 11th on 19 points. It's definitely not bad. They're level with uh, with Brentford on points and only two behind Chelsea and Brighton. So they're they're totally fine. But I do think they probably should have at least got a point from this game or won it. I would have hoped that they win it. Um a good spot for Nottingham Forest, a good win. They're uh, they're a point away from safety, so we'll see how things pan out for them after the the break. But uh, an important win, you know, before they go to the rest period. One other thing you didn't mention about the game uh, was Zaha missing a penalty. Yeah, I th- I thought I glossed over it, but yeah, he did miss the pen. That, that was, was a pretty crucial moment for Palace there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Forrest cannot. I mean, Forrest can only win games at home. They haven't earned a victory on the road yet this year. Only a few draws here and there. So, whenever they're home, they're more likely to get the win. And it seems like it was a get-right game for them, as well as a equalizer in the universe with Palace losing based off of uh, their late winner against West Ham, which really shouldn't have happened off the Antonio mistake, but. It's very challenging for teams, any team in this league, to even string like three wins in a row together. It's almost very few teams do that. So it was one of those things for Palace here, and it could have gone their way. Obviously, the pen miss is is everything towards the end of the first half, and it wasn't even a save. It was just a complete miss of the goal, and they said that was his second miss of the year on a pen. So I don't know if they may change pen takers. Maybe they'll give it to IU or Schlupp. I've seen them take them in the past. So we'll have to wait until they get another one. So until then, we don't know. But yeah, this Forest team is fighting it out. It seems that we're slowly figuring out who these the main 11 are. We're seeing that Broiler is a mainstay in there with Yates. Uh, Worrell, he's a main guy in there. Lodi. Gibbs White is the main guy up front with Johnson. And then all the other guys, they rotate out. So they have about six or seven guys that play week in and week out. Uh, obviously, you want Nico Williams in there over Orier. So we'll see if Cooper changes that in the future. But yeah, positive result for them going into the break. It's not going to get any easier. They have a lot of work to do. And I think it would be hilarious if they make more signings in January. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next one. We had Newcastle 1, Chelsea 0. Man, a tough loss for Chelsea here. Joe Willock being the lone goal scorer in this one. He scored in the 67th. Um, this is tough. Chelsea actually stayed in this game. They defended pretty well, I think, when you look at some of the way some of their defensive performances in the last five or six weeks. Uh, I do think that they, they were more in this game than they were in most of the others. Uh, they probably should have got a point here, but Willock was able to they just nick one from them. Newcastle lined up how they always do. Gimarish in the center of the park. Um, we'll talk more about him in a little bit. Chelsea, same thing. Mount, Broya, no Havertz. Um, but, you know, overall, just 
pretty stable, steady of the, or not steady, um, normal lineup for Chelsea. It does blow my mind when you look at their bench. Like, I'm going to list their bench. Some of these guys got in, some of them didn't. Thiago Silva, Aubameyang, Christian Pulisic, Zakaria, Ziyech, Havertz, Cucurella. You would think this Chelsea team was putting out absolute studs in front of those guys, but they're really not. Koulibaly, maybe Mount, and the rest of the team, I think, is replaceable. Mendy, of course, I think is good, but Kovacic, he's okay. Jorginho, I think, sucks. Gallagher, I think, sucks. Broya, I don't know. He's young. We'll give him time. But RLC, Aspi, Chaloba, Lewis Hall, like, these are not, these are not, world-class players in my opinion and I just think that Chelsea have to figure out how to get something out of these guys on the bench because if they don't they're going to continue to lose these like one nil like grindy weird games against teams that they're probably better than in terms like in terms of actual talent and definitely better than in terms of club prestige so I don't know the Chelsea have a lot of work to do in my opinion yeah, I agree. I like what you mentioned about these kind of grindy games. I think Newcastle winning it go will go a long way to show that they will be in contention for top six and even top four towards the end of the year. Yeah. That's five straight games in the league. We haven't gotten a win in those games. We've only scored twice while also giving up uh, seven goals, four of those to Brighton in one game. It's not... It's not good looking forward. Um, I'm starting to think there's just too much inconsistency in the lineups. It doesn't seem like there are very many people that week in and week out will play. There doesn't seem to be consistent roles for guys. Um, Raheem Sterling wasn't there due to dealing with many headaches during the week, which I've never heard of before. Um, yeah, there's just too many. It seems like they need to thin out the squad a bit um, because there's just so many people that seem disinterested in a way. Um, obviously, they go out there and, and they try their best to win but because uh, they're competitors at the end of the day, but still it just seems like there's a lot of questions when they're put out there in positions they're not familiar with. And then at halftime, we switch formations and they have to change their mindset to a different thing. And now there's potentially, um, come January, they're trying, he's going to try to get rid of some people, which is understandable. He wants to bring in his own people. So, and I think Mendy may be one of those guys that he gets rid of. So it seems like we have to wait until January for Graham Potter to really get his stamp on this team to make his mark. I think that's the right thing to do. You need to get a few guys out of here that you don't think will fit your philosophy and style. I can understand that as a manager, but hopefully we can replace them with people that will make an impact. We want to be in that top four hunt, which it seems like is becoming tougher and tougher every week, especially when we can't score. Um, it's really, I'm in my head, like, would I rather be in this situation where we really struggle to score, but we're in the games or what I want to be like Leeds where we're in every game, it's a shootout and I'm literally drenched in sweat. So yeah. um still thinking about that, but still I realistically we're in a good spot where well not really even I, I mentioned the the close the close like parity there, the bottom end of the table. It's anybody's game. Anybody can drop in there. But 
Now for the top half of the table, you are seeing the gaps. There's a five-point gap between first and second. There's a seven-point gap between four and six. I mean, we're eight points from where we want to be. Tottenham don't look the best, and they're in there. Uh, United's right there at their heels. And we got teams like Brighton ahead of us, um, who I think in the end will draw points week in and week out. We, we saw against Villa coming up here we'll talk about, but it's a long way to go. I'm not looking positive as a Chelsea fan. Hopefully the World Cup gives some sort of mental boost to some of these players. Obviously a lot of our guys are going, uh, yeah. a large majority of them. So hopefully they can perform well. Hopefully nobody else gets injured. I think another thing that maybe I'm overlooking and a lot of other people do at times is we don't have Reese James or Ben Chilwell. Um, yeah, that's obviously, huge. Obviously, Chilwell is a guy who was getting rotated with Cucurella, so he wasn't getting fully involved. But when Reese James was in there, you know he was a major game changer. We haven't seen him under Potter very much, so I don't know how he'll use him. But still, I think having all those guys back, Fafana... Just it's where we have a lot of guys out, and I, I'm still on the train of Broya over Aubameyang. I definitely think he made a difference, but he couldn't get served enough into areas where he could make a bigger impact than what he did in this game. So, and I mean, none of us really touched on Newcastle. I'll note on quickly: just they're having an incredible year. Third, they are one of the best teams in the league now. The, the change they've made this time last year, they were in dead last, still haven't gotten a win. Um, it's it's crazy how big of a turn they've had under Eddie Howe and the new ownership. And obviously they have a lot of money, but they didn't go out there and spend like Chelsea and United on on ninety hundred million pound players. They've been reasonable with who they get and that fit the system. And it's gone a long way. And it's more upsetting for me thinking they got a result starting Chris Wood up top. So yeah, I guess just moving on is a long way to go. But for Newcastle's sake, they're they're flying. Yeah, for sure. Okay, <clears throat> let's move on to Wolves nil, Arsenal 2. Despite a quiet first half, Arsenal were able to get two goals through Martino to guard one in the 54th and one in the 75th to take all three points against a Wolves team who, again, are just offensively extremely poor. 14 shots for Arsenal, four shots on target, 11 shots for Wolves, two of those on target. Arsenal controlled the game with 63% possession and just absolutely outclassed Wolves. It was a bit of a brute force effort. It took us a while to break them down, but once we were able to do so, Odegaard quickly added a second. Man, this uh, this Arsenal team is just so impressive to me. We're getting goals from all over the place. We're getting them from the center of the park through Thomas and Odegaard. Martinelli and Saka both contributing. Jesus opening the space. We got Zinchenko back, which has been good. Uh, Gabriel and Saliba continually just really solid at the back so I love the way that this team is currently functioning I think we have enough uh on the bench in terms of defensive reinforcements but I do hope that we're able to maybe get a backup winger or two moving forward because I don't think Fabio Vieira is going to be able to fill those gaps if we need it um but moving on to Wolves they just suck um Ruben Neves is not enough to be your talisman player Adama's not been good since he's come back Gonzalo Cuedes got a goal last week but overall just not really that impressive and I, when I look at this Wolves team I just don't think that they have enough dynamic uh sort of play 
to really keep themselves up even this year. They're in 20th on 10 points, and I don't necessarily even see that changing. They they really do look bad. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, and I mean it. That's This was the number one versus number 20 in the league, and the score and everything about this game, I think, just reflected that and pretty much everything you said there. Yep. What did you think about the early change for Zaka due to he wasn't feeling well? It honestly looked like he was going to poop his pants. Yeah, he did. I think he something something was going on <laughs> uh, intestinally for Zaka. So it's fine. You know, I I think we were going to win that game without him. Um, he has yeah, been well, really he has been really good this year. But you know, we threw El Nani and Cedric Suarez in there at points, and it was it was plenty fine. So yeah, I don't know it. Like that that's part of the point when I said like I think we have enough defensive reinforcements. I really do. I think um Tyranny's obviously incredible. Holding's been good when we've seen him. Reese Nelson can play back like at fullback if he has to. And then El Nenny can even slot in and play center back as well. So, you know, it it's been fine. I think our center of our park is is solid and um hopefully Jacques is he ate some saltines and he's all right now. Yeah, I told Zach, uh, or I asked Zach, would he have respected him more if he finished the half with shit dripping down his leg? Yeah. Well, at least he didn't pull a Paul Pierce and get, like, taken off the court in a wheelchair because he shit himself. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess it could have been worse. It could have been it, worse. Uh, is it concerning to you that Jesus hasn't scored in 11 games now? No, because he does so much off the ball. Like, obviously, you you want your number nine to be scoring, but... Everybody else sort of picks up the slack when he's not scoring. He opens up so much of the pitch that was never open before for Arsenal. And he doesn't really fit the Arsenal number nine role either. Those guys are always goal scorers. You look at Aubameyang, you look at RVP, you look at um, Bergkamp wasn't, you know, he wasn't a striker, but Henri, like those guys all scored a lot. Jesus is not really like that. He's more of a cam winger hybrid and, Playing him up top, he makes so much of these dashing runs, diagonal runs, and also hold up play towards like the the touch line. It, I don't I don't think it matters that he's not scoring honestly because the the rest of the guys can pick up the slack and there's just so much space for them to move, especially guys that have a lot of talent with the ball at their feet. Odegaard is one of them. Saka and Martinelli both the same way, but they're also ball strikers, and Thomas and Jaka can both do that too. So. Yeah, I, I'd say no. I'm not really worried about that. I know some people are, but I just think Jesus brings so much more to the table as a creative force than he does just a brute force finisher. Yeah, yeah. you could just point to the table and let that speak for you. They got the second yeah. most goals for, and they're top of the table by five. Yeah, it's and it's sort of the way it's sort of the way that City played that one year when like, um. I don't even know who was playing striker. I guess it was last year, but Gundwan was scoring a ton of goals and they were getting goals from Cancelo. They were getting goals from the wings. Like I don't it, you don't have to have uh a guy that's going to bang in 20 to 25 goals a season if the rest of your team can all contribute. So, I I'm not worried about it. If that formula wasn't already there, like if I hadn't seen City do it, then I'd say, sure, maybe I'm a bit worried. But I've seen teams who, who play from all over the pitch and get goals from all over the pitch win this league. So I'm I'm not worried about it right now. Yeah, I would say for Sako, like the first five to six games, he wasn't really involved at right. all. And now, I agree. 
now we're seeing most of Arsenal's attacks come from that right side. And yep. most of the time when I watch Odegaard, he's mainly on the right side of the field, mm-hmm. linking up with Saka. And Ben White gets very high up and gets involved in the crosses a lot too. So it's it's well-rounded. And I think maybe for one game or two, I think those guys you mentioned off the bench can do a job. But if you have a serious injury to Saka, to Partey, I don't think you can have like Reese Nelson on any play for seven, eight games as starters and get those same results. That's that's what I would say come January. I think maybe you need to make one or two more signings to really solidify it. It's it's just like in the the NFL now with with the come the trade deadline. If teams think they really have a chance to push on and make a run for the playoffs and the Super Bowl, they they sign up key guys that they think will help them get there. So I think Arsenal's in that point now where they're serious contenders i think we can I th- i'm sure you've changed your your overall objective for the year now from top four to now just title challenging right or am yeah. i off base with that no i think that's right i i agree so i would think they would go all in for maybe one one big player or two guys that would overall help the team in, in all competitions for the remainder of the year yeah the only thing is is i don't I don't want to fuck the chemistry up too much. Like I don't, I don't want to spend. I mean, the eleven you saw here is the main eleven. This right? is the best eleven, right? But I, I don't want to get a player that like shakes things up and makes guys like scared of losing their job or anything like that. And I know that's probably not the way to think about it, but these guys really do seem to all play really well together, and I'd much rather us just stick it out and get some reinforcements that may be good or may not be good than buy, you know, an a 60 or 70 million pound player. I don't even know who's out there right now when I think, I think about it. I don't think that's the price range. I think cuz if you pay for somebody like that, I think they would care. They would want to be a starter. I think you need somebody that could replace Reese Nelson in a way that maybe you think could give more production. You mentioned Vieira, who did get an assist in this game. Cedric off the bench as a right back. Obviously, you guys have Tommy Asu there. Yeah. Um, you got Marquinhos, a young winger on the bench. Maybe you think of somebody else or El Nini, who's never can go away. I mean, there are spots there where I think you could replace people, but yeah, yeah. I mean, why why change what's what's not broken? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's tough because like there are guys who went in like the last window where I'm like, oh, I wish maybe Arsenal would have splurged for him. We got Zinchenko. He's a he's a DM really. He's just playing left back, which he can also play. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, Calvin Phillips. He's rotting. Um, that's a player I I would have liked Arsenal to splurge for and and get him integrated earlier into the team. Obviously, that ship has sailed. He's with City. Um, but yeah, maybe there there's a couple of players like we're gonna get into Brighton here. There are some players like Caicedo. I think that sort of player or a stupid young, like those are both sorts of players that I could see uh, slotting into an Arsenal team and, and playing well there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I know Mikel said he's, he's, he's got his eye on some guys, so I'll be That's curious. Good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's jump into Brighton one, Aston Villa two. Alexis McAllister got Brighton off early goal in the first minute but Villa had other plans Danny Ings scored in the 20th on a penalty and then added another in the 54th to take all three points for Villa a bit shocking here but 
Mr. Good Evening uh, now has a, a nice win under his belt with Brighton. I think he actually has, or with Villa, I think he has actually has two under his belt. Um, seven. The prem. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 18 points for Villa, who are in 12th. And then we have Brighton, who are in 7th on 21 points. This is a disappointment for Brighton, but... I do think it's going to be a bit tough to get a win against. It's going to be tougher for sure to get a win against Villa um, moving forward now that they do have a proven manager and they're they're probably going to start to play a bit more of a in a system. I just think that um, Gerard had lost the locker room so long ago. So this is good. Um, Buendia looked a little better here. He got subbed off, but I do think uh, this team is going to play better much better under uh, Unai Emery. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see what's to come of that. I think the Danny Ings performance was was class and could be a sign of things to come. Yep. Yeah, it seems like under a more established manager, this guy's proven in Europe, winning titles in the Europa League with Sevilla, um, or sorry, Valencia, or was it Villarreal? I get them all confused, but uh, still. I think he... it was Villarreal. Yeah, yep. so obviously he, he's proven in Europe. He he has a decent enough squad that he inherited here that can get the job done. Uh, it's always better when Ings is pop, popping off here. He's you know you, you can rely on him for uh, a handful of matches like that he did today or, or, or on the day there. Um, and it was one of those games where Brighton just imploded a bit. Mistake in the back, they get exposed. Lewis Dunk doing Lewis Dunk things, having a few mistakes in himself gives a pen. Uh, and then the second goal coming off an error there, McAllister in the middle. So it's tough. These are matches that Villa thrive off of, uh, on the road especially. They picked up seven yellow cards in this game too, uh, all Brighton only getting two. So it was a crazy game in that end. But yeah, I, I agree with the Buendia statement. I think he's found a lot more freedom here with Unai. He's probably talked to him alone and talked about what he sees his role being and potentially he likes it and you're seeing him on the field perform in that sense so it's uh it's nice for them seeing them all have a bit more flair in them a bit more fire in the belly uh now that Digne's back at left back there's more uh there's more of an influence in the attack now from that position uh compared to when Ashley Young was in there and sometimes Augustineson so it, it seems like it's in the right direction right now. Like I said with Palace earlier, it's tough for these type of teams to string three results together in a row. They're always due to implode a bit at times. So we'll see if that's true for them here. Uh, we know they will make mistakes. Um, they're carrying that same back line from last year. That was really poor at times. So uh, on the Brighton end, it just it was just wasn't their day. Uh, they're in that area, like I mentioned, with Chelsea even on points and. They're in a good spot. They shouldn't they shouldn't get too far ahead of themselves thinking it's the end of the world. Uh because I think they're overachieving right now. So Yeah. It's it's we'll see how it goes going forward for them. I think they're another team that don't have too many people going. I think McAllister's going. I think uh Trossard, Sanchez, Estupignan, and maybe one other. So very few guys are going for them to Qatar. Yeah, which is a good thing. <clears throat> They'll be able to train. Uh, okay, last game of the week before we get into uh, re or awards, rewards, whatever you want to call them. 
Uh, Fulham 1, Manchester United 2. Christian Eriksen struck first for the Red Devils. Dan James, ex-United boy, scored in the 61st, but new United boy Alejandro Garnacho scored in the 93rd to take all three points uh, for Manchester United. I mean, what a performance here. Uh, a really, really clutch goal from Garnacho who came off the bench in this one. Uh, Rashford, Fernandez, and Alanga got the start. We're starting to see this United team really slot some different players in here. Martial got the start up top, which is great. I think he's definitely the best striker they have. Uh, one of the only strikers they have, really, because yeah, Ronaldo much. is dead. Um, and Rashford is sort of just a mid now. Um, a good game. They probably should have won this game more than 2-1. But, you know, they'll take the three points, especially when you consider how tough some of their last couple of games have been. Uh, they've got three wins in their last five. One of the other games was a loss, and then one, of course, is a draw. They're in fifth on 26 points, and Fulham now in ninth on 19. So two losses for Fulham in their last two, but uh, still overperforming. What do you guys think of this game? It was definitely an entertaining watch. Yeah, I'm glad to get an exciting uh, United game and it also be a win. I'm glad Garnacho came on and got the the Fergie time goal. That was exciting. I just think it's been I, I've had fun watching this team since the start of the season and seeing which uh, guys Ten Hag prefers in in the roles of his very uh, specific team. And I'm glad that that they're starting to come together for him now, like Garnacho getting some Europa League minutes, and then that leading to him getting a game winning winner in the Prem. I think he'll be a regular bench option now. It's it's just been overall. Uh, fun to watch this team develop yeah yeah it's another disappointing result for fulham there two goals or two games decided in stoppage time uh man city won in the 95th and now united won again in the 92nd so they had a they had a tough trip to manchester over the last two weeks uh disappointing for them but overall i think they can keep their heads high they're overachieving heavily now where they are in the league They've established themselves as a pretty decent team going forward. They're also dealing with a lot of uh, a few injury issues there. Obviously, Mitrovic, the last two games missing, was a massive loss for them going forward, but they were still able to make the games competitive. And you got you got Harry Wilson now back. Dan James getting a goal off the bench was big for him. Willian, he's been a great signing for them, uh, picking him up on a free. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough going on the road, especially against the Manchester teams who can who can play well here. So it's it's nice for them going forward. Yep. Okay. Um, that's everything in terms of recap. We're going to jump into our mid-season awards. Um, I will uh, say, uh, sorry, I will say just before we get into it, at, just like since the midpoint. Uh, for the pick'em records, just going to go through everybody's kind of best three and worst three so far. Okay. Uh, Evan's best three right now: Arsenal eleven and three, Newcastle ten and five, and then he's got about four teams with nine wins: uh, Palace, Leicester, Fulham, and Wolves. Those are your best, and then your worst three. Like I said before, Brentford two and thirteen. Southampton four and eleven and Liverpool four and ten. So 
it, it's it's Liverpool's going to be on a lot of ours here. Uh, for mine, you got Arsenal ten and four. Uh, you got Spurs twelve and three. City ten and four. And then my worst ones, I got Villa three and twelve. Man United four and ten. And Chelsea five and nine. Those are my worst ones. And then Zach. Zach has the best overall that won there with Wolves at 13 and 2. Uh, that's a tough one to get. Um, Spurs 12 and 3 as well. And then Arsenal 11 and 3. Uh, and then he also has the worst record right now with Brentford, like I said, 1 and 14. Uh, Leeds, you're 4 and 10. And Aston Villa 4 and 11. So that's where we're at. Those are the type of teams we're good at picking and bad at picking. I just wanted to say it before we got into the awards. All right. Uh, okay, so yes, let's jump into the uh, into the awards. Do you, does should shall I hand it off to one of you guys first for biggest success for team? I think you guys could probably pick mine already. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll start off because I don't think I don't think you guys picked the one I picked. I went with Fulham, um, due to them being a newly promoted team. And over the past two times they came up, they went right back down. There was the all the talk of Mitrovic. Is he going to be a success after his incredible record setting year last year in the championship, scoring 43 goals? Uh, and right away, they, they got off hot. They were competing against Liverpool there, 2-2 tie. They, we saw the Man City game, the United game recently. Uh, they've been battled with all the big dogs. And they've gotten points off teams they should be getting points off of. So... I think, and especially with the signings they've made too to help them with Pereira, Willian, uh, the signing of Issa D up there to partner Tim Ream. They've made signings all around to help the overall squad. Marco Silva making his redemption arc here in the Prem, previously being with Everton for a season and a half. And it's been really overall a good story for them uh, because we know the owner, Saikon, uh, hasn't had a good showing with the, with the Jaguars in the NFL. They've always been a disappointing franchise and Fulham there there too now. Uh they have that idea of like Norwich, but uh they're turning the page in a way now. Yeah. Okay. Zach. I went with Newcastle here because they have been I mean they're in the top three, which no one expected Newcastle to be in. I don't think anyone who picked a Premier League top twenty had Newcastle top three maybe even let alone top six. So they're definitely overachievers in my book there. They got one loss right now. The only other team that low is Arsenal, who's leading the league. Uh, City on two, and I think between those three teams, maybe Tottenham included in there, are slowly separating themselves into the top four, which we might see towards the end of the season. I don't know. We'll see how form continues after the break. But I, I go with... Newcastle overall, I think Eddie Howe's got great mentality, great set of players there, and I'm excited to see if they if they stay true to top four or maybe top six by the end of the year. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, my biggest success is, is going to be Arsenal. I know this is a bit of a homer pick, but um, I don't know. I just think they've been really good. Arsenal have, by all metrics, exceeded expectations thus far. Uh, this is their best start to a PL season in what feels like two decades. And at the minute, it appears as if they have zero desire in slowing down. This team's been able to get performances out of players who I once thought were long finished at the club, namely Granit Xhaka. 
However, Arsenal have also made plenty of moves in the offseason to shore up their positions of need. The recall of William Saliba, who's been far and away the most consistently solid center back in the league, has been an unbelievable difference maker, and he's been extremely good at the back and has really stabilized the team. <coughs> Excuse me. The rest of the defense plays well alongside him and makes Ramsdale's job relatively effortless. Up top, Saka's learned to play alongside new boy Gabriel Jesus, who hasn't scored all that much, but has definitely opened up space with his darting runs and excellent skills on the ball. Arten Odegaard and Gabriel Martinelli have both also been fantastic in terms of contributions uh, to the team's goals and assist tallies. Overall, I believe Arsenal have been the most successful team so far, and I truly hope that they will lift the trophy come the end of the season. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Single spaced? Single spaced, baby. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Okay, let's jump into player. Matt, who do you have for your uh, biggest success in terms of a player? I made a a short list of five guys here that I really thought stood out. Um, I have James Madison for what he's done with Leicester, leading the way and dragging them out of the bottom half, well, the bottom in the relegation zone to now. Uh, like I said, winning four of the last five and him being a major uh, contributor towards that. Ivan Tooney in the same sense, um, especially recently getting the big win against Man City. Uh, Trippier for Newcastle, I like how he's been the leader for that team. He's He stands out a lot for me with his leadership and uh, how he represents his team and, and the city of Newcastle. Uh, Holland, I think he's the obvious pick that Everybody would say he's got 18 goals. He has his team in second place right now. And as of lately, has been struggling in a way at times, but still he's changed the game entirely. And then you have Almiron here, who I, I, I want my pick to be Almiron for yeah. what he's done. The guy scored. He's got seven goals in his last eight games. He got the assist uh, to the winner for the Chelsea game. Um, he's really changed how people view him there was the whole joke uh in the celebrations for man city last year where Grealish was saying that uh Mars was playing more like Almiron and he had the whole meme stuff there now that Jack Grealish is the is the joke now so I, I think I'd have to go with Almiron but I think I would say Trippier comes in a close second just for how underrated he is if we had an underrated category he'd win it for me yep yeah I agree with you there my Main two guys were Trippier and Holland, just the the big guys for leading each of their teams in third and second, respectively. It's it's great to watch Trippier as a captain, whipping crosses in left and right, doing everything he can to keep that team uh, at the high end of the tables is exciting. Yeah. Uh, for me, I picked Bruno Guimaraes. Um, Bruno has been absolutely stunning this season. I was definitely pleased with his performances last year, but I feel that his role in the midfield at Newcastle is a large part of the success of the club overall. He's as steady as it gets in a holding role, but also does a tremendous job of positioning himself in spots where he's able to convert chances. I personally can't believe he's been good. He's been as good as he has. Uh, but the rest of the players around him are seemingly rallying behind him as well. He's instrumental in the success of <clears throat> their of them moving forward, and I believe that he's been the key. Honestly, uh, Matt mentioned Almiron to unlocking Almiron. He's been so good uh, in the past, like really since the beginning of the season. And I just think uh, Bruno taking over so much of the roles in the center of the park 
allows Almiron to focus going forward. So I'm going to give it to him. I'm a huge fan of Bruno Gamarish, and I really only think he can get better. Okay. Um, biggest letdown for team, Matt? Uh, I kind of alluded to it when we were reviewing, but I have to go with West Ham here. I think for what they've done the last two to three years with Moyes, consistently finishing in the top six and fighting for a top four finish as well in those both of those years and kind of letting it slip towards the end of the year they've gone off to an awful start they were dead last at a certain point this year and playing 15 games they've lost nine they've only scored 12 goals which is third worst only behind everton forest and wolves um it's it's tough for them right now they have a lot of quality they brought in great signings this summer with Paqueta and Skamaka on paper. Uh, they brought in Tilo Care from PSG, who's kind of now cast there. And uh, they brought in depth in other positions too. So it's it doesn't seem like it's going right for the Hammers. It, they're competing in Europe as well, which there might come a point in the season where they kind of bail on the season and they go all in on the Conference League because if they win that, they automatically qualify for the Europa League which I don't know which would be you'd more want is to succeed there and secure yourself in Europe or potentially finish in the bottom half of the league. So there's a lot of questions to be asked to them. Like Evan said, Moise is on the hot seat to really figure out maybe if he needs to change a certain style or rotate one or two people in or out. And it's it's a tough position, tough position to be in as a manager after all the recent success they've had. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look towards the bottom of the barrel and just say Wolves for me. I mean, talk about a dreadful team that is just struggling this year. Two wins from 15, and they've only scored eight goals in those 15 games. That's that's hardly uh, half a goal a game. My math is correct. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they've just going forward and all areas of pitch, they struggle. And then I look at a guy like Ruben Neves in there who I think can be their Gimarash and get the team to rally behind him and turn the turn the club around because I don't really know what else they got going for him. I know they got the new manager coming in, so time will tell after the break and once he gets settled and gets that team rolling, we'll see if, see if he turns it around like uh, they've done at Villa. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> My biggest letdown is Liverpool. Give me a second to explain. Uh, this is the midseason recap and reward portion of the show. I don't think Liverpool will actually finish where they are in the table, and I expect a far better second half. However, to say they haven't been disappointing so far would be criminal and disingenuous. As you all know, I try my best to speak the truth on this show, and I feel that this is warranted. Liverpool have been one of the most dominant figures in world football for essentially the last five years. They have a Champions League and a Premier League to show for it. This is great. However, when you look at how much this team has added since their CL victory, you'd think that they'd be better. They're worse. The loss of Sadio Mane has been absolutely critical for this club. Being without Diogo Jota, who all of you know is one of my favorites, is also troubling. Their defense is decent at best and shambolic at worst. BVD is not the player he could be right now, and Trent is a glorified winger. I think I've made that clear. I think Matt's made that clear. We sort of uh, share thoughts there. The midfield isn't really producing as it should, and I can't help but feel bad for Mo. 
who's been left to do a lot of the scoring on his own. Mo really looks better, and the emergence of Darwin Nunez points to a brighter second half for Liverpool. But so far, I just think that they've been the epitome of mid, and we have to hold these teams to higher standards. So, yeah, it's it's Liverpool for me. They've been really disappointing. Yeah, if it comes to that, I might as well change my pick to Chelsea. I just think yeah, that was, yeah. it's tough because they <laughs> I was thinking they, about doing them. Yeah. I mean, there's so much change going on at the club with yeah. new ownership. There, he's getting. They've a lot of people from the old regime have left in high positions of power in the club, and Bowley has been slowly incorporating his own guys with that heavily in the analytics department and all that sort of thing. And we've signed the recruitment staff of uh, the X-Man City guy who was at Southampton for maybe four weeks, and now he's already at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Um, Money talks. I mean, that's the definition of our club is hopefully just you buy the best people and they can get the job done. And we've seen as of recently under Frank Lampard that you can finish top four with your own homegrown talent with the emergence of Abraham Mount, James, uh, Loftus-Cheek. You can get the job done with those guys, but it's, it's, it's a club mentality, a culture that has been built over decades that we we have to spend $300 million to finish in that area of the table every year. And the more I see this year play out, the more I think it could be like of 20, 2016 where we finished 10th um, because the margin of the, the margin of error and the gap of quality between all these clubs is getting thinner and thinner, it seems like at times. And you can slip into a drought potentially for a year or two. And you're seeing that now with the emergence of Brighton and Newcastle and all the teams below are slowly closing the gap as well. You're seeing Leicester pick up some heat. Uh, Fulham obviously is a new team. We've seen teams in the past that are newly promoted do great things. We saw uh, Sheffield the one year finish seventh. We saw Leeds finish ninth the one year in their first year. It's it's possible. So there there's a lot of change there. So obviously I, I'd still go with West Ham for being in that relegation area, but still there's, a lot of worry there with the just constant change at the club in Chelsea. Yeah. Um, okay. How about player for you guys? The biggest letdown player. I have a list of seven guys, but <sighs> I think I have an idea of who my one is. So the other guys I have on here, I got Ronaldo. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. I would say that it's, I mean, it's, it's tough. That's a situation in itself that, can be a whole topic for a podcast episode um obviously with his latest interview and being fined and it's it's never gonna it's not gonna end well obviously you could see that from the summer um evan mentioned jota a lot of the, the next three guys have been dealing with a lot of injuries so that's what i would say letdowns just they can't get things going in their right in their favor uh bamford as well even when he is given his opportunities he misses Obviously, the penalty against Arsenal would have been massive for their season and would have totally changed the landscape landscape of where we're at in the league. Um, DCL, who got hurt again now, which is really going to let down the club again and put them in a situation where they are now. Anthony Gordon in a similar fashion where there was so much hype with him in the summertime, uh, potentially going to Chelsea for €60 million year, uh, pounds. And now he's only scored three goals and has been in and out of the lineup. So uh, my main two guys, though, are Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling. Sterling being 
brought in as the big signing to fix our attacking problems. And uh, Zach mentioned it's not entirely his fault with how the both managers have used him as a wingback type of thing and changing him constantly as a forward, a winger, wingback. So uh, my number one would be Mason Mount because of what he's done the last two to three seasons under Frank and then Tuchel uh, scoring 10, 11 goals for us and also contributing eight assists. He's had phenomenal years to keep us in the top four. And now it seems like just that things have led off similar fashion to Sterling where he's kind of getting moved around a little bit, but still, I mean, you're playing with guys you've been playing with before. Uh, there's no excuse with Sterling being brought in. You play with him in England, so there should be some 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 familiarity there with him. It's it's just it's a lot it's a lot to think about, and it continues on my points before with how how much change is going on at the club, and it it seems like it's affecting everybody from top to bottom. Yeah, um, Zach. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, disappointing players as well. I'm just going to say the forwards for Wolverhampton Wanderers for being <laughs> completely inconsistent throughout the season, whether it's goals or shots on target or shots in general or injuries. That whole attack. The entire attack has been rough to watch, and uh, it reflects on paper. And like you mentioned with Bamford struggling as well, I think he'd be a great fit on this team. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I mean, Matt mentioned Raz, but this is this has got to be it for me. And it pains me because I'm a fan of him. I think he's a fantastic player who's had some really great moments in this league, more than most people can ask for. However, his move to Chelsea has been challenging for him for sure. He hasn't provided the sort of spark that they need up top, and he's suffered because of the movement around the team that he's had to endure. Raz has played striker, wing, and wing back in this team already because of the injuries and strategic experiments his managers have subjected him to. Uh, it hasn't worked at all. And for one of England's best players, I think his ceiling is much higher. I don't think this comes down to Raheem Sterling himself at all, to be honest with you. I think he's grown tremendously as a player throughout his time all over where he's been everywhere. Uh, and I do think that he's been, unfortunately, one of the most disappointing players in the league this season, just when it comes down to names. So I think he'll have a better second half, I would hope, but they're going to have to get him into a more comfortable position in order for that to happen. So unfortunate there. I got one more point to make on my Wolves uh, forwards. Sure. They don't even have a forward with that's listed as a forward on the Premier League website that, had, that has tallied more than one goal. Their two goal scorers are both midfielders, Neves and Potence, uh, with four and two. Yeah. So more Same. shade to uh, the Wolves attack. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to add that in there. Yeah, it's important well, context. I think I, I think I know where we're going with our no-show category then for you. For Zach? They sweep. They sweep yeah. the, the awards. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, Matt, for oh, it's your... so easy to pick them. For your worth, I, I, don't, I feel like we all ought to have the same here, but who do you think? I made a, a list of 21 guys overall, but I'll just give you three main ones that I think have made the biggest impact with what their clubs. Uh, number one, I go Sven Botman. Yeah. For Newcastle, Dutch center back, who I don't even think was called up to the Netherlands for the nope, World Cup. He wasn't. Um, he's, only, today. he's only 22, I think. He's a leader in the back for them. 
they, Newcastle has not lost a game this season when he plays. Uh, the only game they lost was the Liverpool game, and he did not play in that. So he he's elite in that sense. He's slowly taking Van Dyke's title away um, from him. Uh, but, yeah, I think that has been a main point for Newcastle in their defense overall and has been a main, main point for them. So, so Botman would be in there for me. Obviously, we're all going to say Erling Holland, 18 goals. Um, three hat tricks already. The guys lit the league up. He's in every defender's nightmares. He is somebody that is potentially going to break the uh, scoring record in a 30, 38 game season. Uh, Eighteen with the records thirty two. So it's very possible for them with with uh, twenty four games left that he can get fifteen goals. I think that's doable for him. Um, and then a third guy I'd pick would be. Andres Pereira, I'd go with him for Fulham. He's emerged as a main player in the league, not only for his club, but overall in the league in that number 10 role. He links up a lot of play for them. He takes most of their set pieces. He's involved in goals and assists. And he's kind of gotten away from that. He's gotten out of that idea in people's minds as a Man United failure to now being a decent Premier League footballer, so uh, those would be my three. Okay, Zach, I got a list. Erling, yeah, especially since having him on my fantasy team has been very fun this season. Yeah, number one uh, overall scorer there for his goal output and his space spatial awareness on the pitch and the runs he makes and everything. I mean, his teammates compliment him very well to find him in those situations, but. Erling definitely at the top, and then I wanted to include a couple guy or a United player. I want to include Casemiro in there. I think he's been a crucial role in Ten Hag's first year with the team, just because he gives us confidence to get forward more. Just being able to rely on him as a rock at the back defensively and his distribution as well, I think creates new space and new openings going forward that we didn't have in the past trying to search for the right midfielders to play. So Casemiro as well is on my list. Yep. Um, I am, I just have to go with, with Holland. Uh, I don't really think there's all that much to say here. Holland's been absolutely violent in front of the net for city. He's been unstoppable until like a week ago. He's not going to the world cup, which is a shame, but I don't think there's ever been a signing that was so worth it in the history of world football. Comparatively speaking, Holland was a steal. His market value is probably close to 200 million euro, and he joined City from Dortmund in the summer for 60 million euro. In 13 appearances, Holland has tallied 18 goals and three assists. He's been stunning. He shows no signs of stopping down, and being just 22 years of age is going to become a Premier League legend. I can say this with zero doubts in my mind. Uh, there's been some other players that Matt and Zach have mentioned that have they've mentioned that have been really good, but I don't think anybody comes even remotely close to Holland, especially when you consider how much City paid for him. Um, he's been just unreal. Yeah, yeah that's just for, the correct answer. Yeah, yeah, I think for those stats, you would have had to pay two hundred million. Like, uh, yeah, you would think. Mbappe. Yeah, exactly. He's he's. I think he's better than Mbappe. To be honest, I don't think if you dropped Mbappe in that City team. He'd have he'd have those stats. I, I really don't. I, I don't know. <laughs> They're different players, though. They are. I agree, but 
I mean, we've seen the success with the build of Jesus and Sterling in that system, and and Bappe yeah. is better than those guys. Yeah, that's true. But do you think he? You think he would have eighteen goals and three assists through thirteen appearances? That's a it's a not, bit of a reach to say it, he, but I mean, I, for I, someone I, I to would, achieve that, I think he could. I definitely think he could too. I don't think it'd be the same type of goals that. No, it would be different for sure. Yeah. Obviously, it'd be more of the conventional way we've seen City play with the link up and the drags and yep. moments of brilliant brilliance on the feet, like feet, your technical ability, which Erling does have decent foot skills, but Mbappe not next like Mbappe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, that's fair. I think they'd have similar numbers, maybe not to this extent, but yeah. That's yeah. probably true. Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't think we'll ever see Mbappe in the Prem. Yeah, um, I don't either. I just don't because the money, they're they're things would have to line up too perfectly. Yeah, you really probably won't see that just because Madrid have had their sights set on him for so long. There have been right. players that he like he sort of fits the mold of Messi, of Neymar, of Ronaldinho, guys that just they just won't play in the prem you know i think i think the thing is he only has like three destinations he can go he could stay in psg he could go to spain or he has to go to the prem because those are the only teams that, that can... have the money to pay for him yeah exactly so i think i, I wouldn't 100 percent say no he won't come yeah but i would i would say like 90 percent he won't yeah it would be sick to see him in the prem though it i mean i i watch like i watch a lot of league one just so that i can watch messi still just because I enjoy the way that he plays so much and getting to see like Mbappe and Neymar who also have been really good this season as it's just such a treat there. It's so crazy to think those are your front three. It's insane. Oh yeah. And Um, the fact that they still won't win a champions league trip. I know. I know. (laughs) They're cursed. It's just insane. Uh, Okay. Your no show. Who's, who's the no show? Uh, this list isn't as long as my worth. I think I only have 10 guys on here. Uh, I do have two Wolves players on here. Um, but I think my top two would have to be Sterling again. And I think my number one's gotta be Calvin Phillips. Um, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. The money they spent on him, the England international, uh, Euro 2020. Uh, player of this player of the tournament for England. I mean, the guy was absolutely being blown up in the media and that, and he made his big move and hasn't gotten anywhere near the lineup. Obviously, the beginning of the year dealed with a lot of injuries. We saw this last year at Leeds, the latter half of their season. He was out for the majority of the year, which put them in a relegation battle. And now we're seeing the same thing where whether he's fit or not, he cannot break into this team. And it's really sad because he could be useful at the other 19 clubs in the league. He'd be a starter in any of them. Um, so, yeah, I'd have to say Phillips is my number one most disappointing. Yep. Or no show, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I said earlier with the Wolves, uh, Geddes definitely for all previous stats mentioned his way. Uh, and then my funny one would be Liverpool loaning in Arthur just for him to die. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot yeah. about him. <laughs> yeah. He came in uh, at the end of May. Or no, I'm, he, they got him at the end of the summer. I think it was like a I got him right on deadline day, yeah. Yeah, and then I think he got uh, injured and they said he would be out for his entire loan. So he was he was there for quite literally a no show. And then he was done. Yep. 
Um, okay, my no-show, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Not even doing the research here. Uh, he sucks. He ruined Arsenal's locker room. He's probably doing the same at Chelsea as we speak. Uh, he's all of Ronaldo's cancer with none of the production. A finished player. Hope he loses all of his money on an online casino and has to live in a shed on a river in his native country of Gabon. Absolute prime level, top tier, A5, Wagyu steak cunt from hell. That's it. Perfect. That's awards. <laughs> you I, couldn't have ended that any better. No, it was perfect. Uh, I, I spent like 20 minutes on that one. So that's it uh, for your mid-season rewards. That was fun. That was one of our better ones for sure. Uh, yeah. Episodes about like an hour and a half. So you guys have a long one. And I guess we'll do like we uh, did for the Euro, like uh, one of those group predictors. Yeah, um, I, we'll do it Thursday. I'm off work okay. on Thursday, so cool. we can do some in the morning. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll do some similar. There will be... There's definitely websites where you can make brackets and we'll we'll yeah. walk through them and do screen grabs and we'll do the same thing like mid-season awards here. We'll do predictions for obviously a golden boot winner and golden ball and all that stuff. So it'll be just like this episode. Yeah, that should be really fun. I've been look. I've actually been looking like every day I'm spending time looking and making sure the odds aren't switching up too much on me because there's some guys right. that I really have my eye on already yeah. for, for golden boot and stuff. I will give you I will give you guys a little teaser that one of us definitely one of us has one of the big dog contenders not making it out of the group. Oh yeah? Yep. <laughs> That's you clearly, because I don't know. Huh? How about it? Mm-hmm. I don't think England's making it out of their group. I've already oh. gone over some oh. stuff. Oh wow. Yeah. You're outnumbered, Matt. You're outnumbered. Oh no. A fellow <laughs> England hater. Oh, oh, you don't think so either, Zach? <laughs> No. Oh, we I got. We'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. We can. We There's can wait. Teaser. Minus eleven hundred. Yeah. There's yeah. the teaser. That's the juice, baby. I'm sure there'll be money on it. Um. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This was a fun one. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post Twenty Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all past episodes, even the fucked up episode one sixty, on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And until Thursday. Uh, Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.